0: Thank you, Tim, for the prayer of supplication. I thank all of you for being here this morning, to have a desire to be in fellowship with other Christians, to have the opportunity to lift your voices and sing in praises to the Lord. Beautiful songs that our music team has led us in singing together this morning. Songs that truly honor the Lord and uh, exalt his name. And then a desire to have the access to the teaching of God's Word, as we looked at uh, some of the foundations of our church's faith in CGG, and then also as we look at the Word of God and let God's Word speak to our hearts this morning. I'll ask, if you will, if you haven't already, turn to the Gospel of Luke, where we'll resume in our uh, series of messages. I appreciate uh, Tim preaching last Sunday and uh, on the 10 lepers. And uh, Luke doesn't follow thematically, chronologically, he, he has his own order. And, uh, and and so right on the heels of the healing of the ten lepers and the salvation of the one particular leper, the Samaritan, we find this section that we're looking at today, on, beginning in chapter 17, verse 20, on the kingdom, the coming kingdom. Uh, I feel quite sure that just about all of us followed to some degree the news from Great Britain and were vividly reminded, in all the pomp and celebration and and activities there, of the endearing and almost enchanting relationship that exists between Great Brit Great, Great Britain citizens and and their their beloved monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, who was having her Platinum celebration, uh, 70 years, uh, you know, on the throne, and so she was the center of attention, of course, and and there were so many different things. I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but, but I, I feel quite sure, at least some of you probably saw parts of it, and some of it was quite impressive to see. Uh, remember, one year before we went on a missions trip, we went we had we had to go through London. We had a day layover and uh, uh, the airport there. And uh, so we took a tour into London, having not seen the sights. And I remember going by Buckingham Palace. I remember, you know, leaning out of the tour bus and waving at the Queen. Of course, she wasn't there. She was in Scotland, probably. (laughs) But I can at least say I waved at the Queen. But anyway, she, yeah, even if she was there. But anyway, that's another. But you know, just all the things that they did and to see the Queen there on the balcony at Buckingham Palace and surrounded by well at least most of her family and, and then all the throngs of people that assembled, you know, lying in the streets and just just you know uh, multitudes of people celebrating you know, you can just sense there's such a such a great anticipation in them of being able to see the queen and to, to express their love and devotion to her. I, I found things like the I think it was 41 cannon salute. I mean, 21 is big, but 41 uh, cannon salute. The uh, you know the Royal Guard and all their you know regal uh, uniforms, you know, mounted on horses, you know, and, and how precise they were. Uh, the the flyover by the Royal uh, British Royal Air Force, uh, you know, so many things just really spoke about their great attachment. Now, now, granted. The, the monarch of of Queen Elizabeth is not a in, you know, absolute authority, political, military government. It's more ceremonial uh, than, than anything. There are very few absolute monarchs in the world today. Most of them get deported. But the reason I tell you that is to people that are caught up in monarchy and kingdoms, you know, uh, that's a big deal. The United States, because we were revolted against the British monarchy and and became an independent nation we really don't share that kind of zeal and and love for an adoration of a monarchy Uh, but we do show some curiosity towards that now switching back to 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the scene kingdoms were big and if you were a Jewish citizen in Jesus's time The anticipated kingdom of the coming Messiah that they foresaw in Israel's glory days was a big matter. And you'll see that launched the the, uh, discourse we have here that we're looking at with Jesus and the Jewish leaders. The Jews were looking for that promised Messiah who would one day come and establish a victorious kingdom upon the earth. And they were anticipating at any time. That that would happen, and and at that time, Jewish people, God's people, would be catapulted to a long-awaited position of prosperity. There would be a time of power and peace like they'd never known. And so naturally, when they're thinking about the kingdom of God, they've got this in the back of their mind, and uh, and that's that's how Luke kind of introduces us to Luke 17:20. Uh, It says, now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. They anticipated that you would quickly observe. When the Messiah emerged from whatever tribe, probably the tribe of Judah, Benjamin. they knew that he would be uh, visible right there. All the circumstances would point to him. Jesus said the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed the kingdom of God is within you. You see, we, we talk first about the coming of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is teaching about. That's what the Jews were seeking themselves. But there was an impasse there. Because they weren't talking about the same thing in talking about the kingdom of God. You see, the Jews shared an erroneous concept of the kingdom of God. And Jesus knew that. But but they're drawn to this, this radical rabbi, if you will, who seemed to make such bold claims about the kingdom of God. And they'd heard him teach about and preach about you know uh, the kingdom of God it was front and center to his teaching and preaching Jesus taught there and earlier in Luke's gospel we saw in chapter 4 verse 43 when Jesus says I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent when the people there in Galilee were trying to hold on to him and you know it fed the 5,000 they wanted to make him their resident prophet, if you will and Jesus says oh no no, I'm here to, to, I'm on a mission. And the mission is to preach the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus, like John the Baptist, came on the scene preaching, repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So the, the Jews had heard Jesus making reference to the imminence of the kingdom of God and wanted to kind of get in on any inside scoop. They heard him probably there on the mount of uh, uh, where Jesus gave the sermon on the mount. Message and and talked about the Beatitudes and talked about the kingdom of God and and they probably heard him Telling his disciples as he was instructing them in in how to pray to pray You know our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come Your will be done and so hence their inquiry about the kingdom of God was when We we sense that you are a firm believer that the kingdom of God is at hand. And they're thinking the the Messiah. And in their minds, the Messiah would would not be what Jesus was. That's why it was ridiculous in their minds to entertain the possibility that this this man who was born in a stable, claimed to be born of, of a virgin, and then his hometown where he grew up, Nazareth, Was it Philip that said, can any good thing come from Nazareth way up there in Shacktown of Galilee? And so they could not, even with the wildest imagination, conceive of Jesus being that promised Messiah. You see, their thinking was based on erroneous and misled interpretations of the Old Testament prophets and prophecies pertaining to the promised Messiah that he would rise up as a, a mighty conquering king and establish God's kingdom upon the earth, that he would vanquish all the enemies of Israel once and for all, beginning with the Roman Empire, and all the other enemies, historical enemies of God's people, Oh, he would take care of them, and at the same time vindicate and richly bless them. The Jews, the descendants of Abraham. Oh, listen, the promised messianic kingdom was going to be Israel's ultimate high day, glory day. They looked forward to the many blessings that God had promised his people. And the Jews would once and for all be the number one nation in the world. Messiah would return to Jerusalem. And in his glory, he would return the city of David to its ultimate glory and reign from that point. and he would gather back into the lands and the boundaries of Israel. He would bring back from all over the nation those Jews who had been dispersed by pagan nations. And they would finally be able to come back home. and there he would rule over the nations of the world, He would establish his eternal kingdom. Of universal peace basically they were just waiting and they were just wanting you know uh, the Messiah's return and so they were wanting to know from this brazen Messiah Jesus who talked so boldly as if he had inside information about the kingdom of God okay when give us a date that's kind of like it's kind of like people today you know I know even Christians today, sometimes we fall into that trap. We know the Lord is coming. And and just it'd be so good if we just had a date, a date that we could plan towards. We'd make it convenient, wouldn't it? Then you could wait to two weeks before and get your life straightened up. Live like the devil up to that time. It doesn't work that way. What was it? Back in 1988, a book came out. It was a paperback. And... (laughs) I think it predicted a date in September. I, I wish I could go back and review that. But yeah, the author had it all figured out by some, you know, logistical, complicated formula. He calculated down through all the prophecies and and, and headed down to this date, you know, September, whatever, 1988. And boy, I tell you, the churches were beginning to fill up. People you hadn't seen, oh man, they, yeah, the word was out there. The Lord's coming, it's right here. People are getting excited about it and there's buzz in the air. Everybody is, you know, getting pumped about that. It was, I was curious. I checked my calendar to make sure I was open that day. <laughs> no, I didn't. But people even get caught up on that. And so they're asking Jesus, you know, when, when? Could it be? You got that knowledge. We need to know so we can get ready. So the Lord explains that the kingdom is not the kingdom they're thinking about. When he's talking about and preaching about the kingdom of God, it's not the way they think of it. It's a spiritual kingdom. And the kingdom had already come. He said, what do you mean? Well, the tragedy and the ironical tragedy of, the, of that moment was the fact that the Jewish leaders standing there looking at Jesus Christ didn't even know that he was a king. The king was here, he had already begun to usher in his kingdom. Wasn't that what he was preaching in John the Baptist? Repent. But the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand means it's here. Get your hearts ready. And so what Jesus is is saying basically is only to, to those who have received him by faith. They're the only ones who will have access. That's what Jesus is saying. He says the kingdom of God does not come with observation. It's not like you can say, hey, he's over here you know, in Jerusalem, or he's down here in Bethany, or no, Jericho, or you no. Know. <laughs> the king had already come, and he was taking up residence in the hearts of every person. He was putting himself on the throne of every person who would believe that he was indeed the Son of God. In John chapter 3, you may recall when Jesus Was approached by one of the Pharisees Nicodemus and Nicodemus wanted to know some insights about how he could have eternal life and he was acknowledging Jesus was a great man of God working miracles and all of that and Jesus made a kingdom statement to Nicodemus Nicodemus was he was a Jewish leader he was one of those looking for the promised Messiah to come he was one that had visions of glory days for Israel he was one thinking that hey at any point that that military political leader will emerge, and he will do something like David did, in cleaning house around and, and and establishing God's people as a powerhouse. But you know, Jesus said to Nicodemus, one of the Jewish leaders, one of the most learned men in the law. He says, "Unless one is born again, he cannot see." kingdom of God that's a pretty bold statement to make to a Jewish leader unless you have experienced spiritual regeneration you're not in the kingdom shucks you won't even get close to the kingdom. even though right there he's standing face to face with Nicodemus the kingdom of Jesus ushered in that the Jews rejected in rejecting Christ was a spiritual kingdom where God would reign in the hearts and the lives of people who were absolutely committed by faith to Jesus Christ, to trust him, that he would take care of their sin problem, that he would reconcile them by his own shed blood to God the Father, that he would indwell them with his Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said in John fourteen, sixteen, 16, was talking to his disciples and it says, I prayed the Father that he will send, and he will send another helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide in you forever. So the kingdom of God, beginning with the, the, the earthly ministry of Jesus and the and the teachings of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus was a spiritual kingdom, and the throne was would be the hearts of the people. So Jesus is pointing out it's not a military or political kingdom and you can't enter it based on your genealogy. You can't say, well, I'm a descendant of Abraham, like most of the Jews would at that time. So I'm in. Well, I'm a Jew. I practice Judaism. I make my sacrifices. I go to the temple. I observe these these religious rituals and celebrations, festivals. No. Your religious rituals and pedigree would not get you into the kingdom of god but purely by the grace of god through faith in jesus christ the son of god and his atoning death and resurrection and the awful tragedy of the moment that we see before us right here and all the way through jesus's earthly ministry is that time after time after time so many Jews had an opportunity to enter into the kingdom that they would, were longing for and their forefathers longed for. And it was right there. What do you think made Jesus weep when he came into the city of Jerusalem and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you had only known. If you could only see. Because he knew that that generation and subsequent generations of Jews would live their life for however many years God graced them to be on the earth and they would die and miss the kingdom of God. And in stark contrast, find their souls suffering, agonizing, fiery judgment in a hideous place called hell. Forever! And so you see the plight of the Jews at that point. Now Jesus has got his disciples there. And so if you pick up with me there in verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Jesus used that term to speak of his humanity. It was one of his favorite ways of describing himself as a Messiah, fully God, fully man. And he, and he says, you will desire to see one of, the, one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And, and even in for the Christians, Christians long after Jesus ascended into heaven. Don't you know? Because he promised them he was coming again. Don't you know that that James, John, Andrew, Peter, those those disciples, those apostles and all the Christians who came into the kingdom by their preaching of the gospel. Thousands. Don't you know those first century Christians lived with that blessed hope? Paul taught, wrote, preached with that frame of mind. Paul, I believe, as he wrote passages uh, that we find in the scriptures talking about the coming of Christ, he believed in his heart that it could happen in his lifetime. I believe that the coming of the Lord can come in my lifetime. I can't be dogmatic and prove that. Yeah, you know, I like to live with that kind of expectation. What about you? I don't like to think of the kingdom of God and the return of Christ as being some pie in the sky way off out there in the, in the future. Listen, we know that it, it can occur at any moment. So Jesus is, is talking to his disciples here. You got to be careful, he says, because as much as you desire to see that, he says the days will come and you will desire to see the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they, these will be deceivers, people that try to deceive God's people, they will say to you, look here, look there. Do not go after them or follow them. Don't take somebody's word about, oh, listen, we got this secret society over here. Now, we don't believe everything that the Bible says, and we don't believe it as accurate as some denominations do. we got our own notions about what God has updated and improved, his word. So we got a new revelation. So if you want to see the Messiah, come on over here. Oh, he's going to be there. Oh, join our secret. Jesus said, don't fall for that now jesus is switching here from talking about the spiritual kingdom of god the coming kingdom in his day in that time to the consummation of the kingdom of god folks jesus is coming again i heard on one of the contemporary christian radio stations a song i don't can't recall the artist but but the lyrics caught my attention people get ready talking about god's people People get ready. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And that, that's the way we should live our lives. Now, I think it's so good that we had as our responsive reading in Matthew chapter 24, because what we find being taught to his disciples here in Luke's discourse here is, is parallel to what you find in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is when Jesus was teaching on the Mount of Olives. And he's teaching about end times. And and, it, and and it's more expansive than what we find in the brief version we have here in Luke. So if you really want to read it in its entirety, you need to go back to Matthew 24. It was, it's called the Olivet Discourse. But we'll take what we have here, and Jesus is teaching to his disciples. Now his attention is not so much on the Jews who have asked him when, Now he's looking at his disciples. He wants to straighten their thinking. He wants to help straighten our thinking about, listen, after his ascension back into heaven, Jesus said, I will be coming again. And when he comes again, he won't come as he did in the first coming. He won't be coming as a humble rabbi, teacher, miracle worker. He will be coming and much power much glory and so as we look at what Jesus is teaching he says first of all don't, don't listen to these people to try to convince you that Jesus the Messiah is over here he's over there go chase it out he says no he said let me tell you something look at verse 24 for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven so also the Son of man will be in his day But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation, this generation. You see, Jesus knew that before his earthly ministry was complete, before he would give his life on the cross, before he would be resurrected, before he would ascend into heaven, he would would have to be crucified. And he would suffer that. So that his disciples would be able to understand how it correlated with the, the the return of the Lord. And it goes on, and, and you'll see here that is as as the Lord is describing these things to come, he's, he's looking at like the the chronological eschatological, eschatological time schedule of God. If you were to go back in the in the book of Daniel and chapter 9, and you'll see. Where Daniel has so clearly described, you know, uh, how the end time, how how God's prophecy about the last uh, years, and he talks about nine uh, or seven weeks of years, 483 days up to the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, and then there was one week left. So you know, 48 of the weeks have taken place; one week left to be fulfilled. So everything that needs to be accomplished to for the return of Christ has already occurred. The clock, you might say that eschatological countdown clock stopped when Jesus went into heaven and was ascended. And so now it's, it's like it, it's not a matter of we have to see more prophecy fulfilled. Jesus is ready to come, but only the father knows that time. And so what we see, Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians, the very next event that will transpire. Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, and you're familiar with it if you have read through that passage before and you've heard it it taught and preached, no doubt. But we'll we'll just quickly look over there. Paul says in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, it says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of the God will sound, or with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain. See, Paul was living, believing that this event could happen in his lifetime. And so when he's what he's talking about, Paul says those who are already sleeping are dead. The bodies are buried in the grave and their souls are in heaven in in the presence of God. When Christ comes to rapture to take up his church, that's what he's describing here. Is that the shout of the archangel, the blast of the trumpet? Christ is descended from heaven. He says those will be caught up from the grave their, their bodies will be reunited with their souls. Their glorified bodies will transpire from there. We who are alive and remain, if that were to occur right now, instantaneously, you, your body would be grabbed up, taken up and would all be going up. To meet the Lord in the air that's what he says. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now, I very respectfully acknowledge there are some very scholarly pastors and teachers and professors, writers who don't see it that way. They don't see the rapture of the church as being an actual event that will precede the final seven years Daniel prophesied that we know as the great tribulation and I promise I won't be saying I told you so as they ride up with me it's a free ride but but the fact is uh, you know that final week when the rapture occurs that's going to start the the eschatological time clock to ticking those last seven years before the Messiah comes You can set your clock by if you're still here. Now, sister, brother, I hope you're not. But when you notice a whole lot of people that profess to be believers, family members, friends, listen. You can pretty much say, "Okay, I missed the first bus. (laughs) Here, here's what's got to happen. You don't want to be here because Daniel Describes as well as in, in Revelation, John, that great revelation, talks about this. During those years, there are going to be some horrendous things taking place on the face of the earth. There's going to be an antichrist who arises. He's going to be the, the antithesis of, of, of Christ. He's going, to be, he's going to be satanically empowered and embodied. And you're going to see the false prophet emerge. Those people living during that time will see the beast that is Satan himself emerge on the scene not only will they have to put up with those sinister creatures and personalities that will wreak absolute havoc upon the world particularly for the Jews but the Bible describes in that time period this is before the second coming that God will rain down upon like pour down upon those left rebellious sinful humanity who have thumbed their nose up to him they've got to endure some of the worst cataclysmic I mean earth changing shaking massive killing plagues the world has ever seen if anybody would like to experience and witness firsthand the wrath of God short of hell just be there during the tribulation and all of this is going on and so Jesus says listen and, you know, at the, at the end of the seven years, when the Jews will be persecuted, the Antichrist will turn against them. Everything is looking bleak for people. And listen, you know, the glorious thing that that you look in Revelation, it, it tells us that there's going to be an outbreak of Messianic Jews before the very end. 144,000, the scripture describes for maybe All the 12 tribes and they're gonna be on fire for Jesus and gonna be sharing the gospel all over so people will come into the kingdom during the tribulation it'll be hard exceptionally hard but it will happen and many of those will lose their lives as a result of the persecution they will suffer and so you see this this and Jesus is saying Coming up to the time when the second coming occurs. He says, It'll be, you, you'll see it. You'll know it's coming. You'll know I'm coming. The first time in the rapture, there's no sign. There's no warning. Just like that. In the twinkling of an eye, you're caught up. But for those who remain, they will see the signs. First, the sign of the rapture, the emergence of the Antichrist, the rise of the uh, false prophet. They'll see the plagues of God. Listen, they'll know. They'll know, they'll be telling each other, hang in there, hang in there. It's going to end. But for those who are lost and rebelled against God, look at verse 27. He uses two, or verse 26, he uses two very familiar historical illustrations. He says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Talking about the world. And he says, they ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Did Noah preach, warning the people that God was going to judge them? You bet he did. Years and years and years. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold and planted, they built. None of these activities are bad or evil. It only says that they were completely bl- oblivious to the possibility that God was going to judge the world. Imagine the people that heard Noah preach. You better get your heart right. You better turn from your wicked ways because Jehovah God is going to judge this world. Can you imagine what went through their minds when for the first time they heard thunder For the first time, they began to feel rain pouring down. For the first time, they they experienced these mighty rivers that were underneath the terrain of the earth gushing forth billions of tons of water. Listen, as they saw the waters rising, can you imagine what was going through their minds as they ran? Where's that ark? Where's that ark? Oh, there it is. There it is. But it's too late. God had sealed the door. And the judgment was there. What about in the days of Lot? Verse 28, likewise it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, and planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. How many years did Lot live in the suburbs of Sodom and Gomorrah? How many years was he honored to sit at the gate and tell them about his God who was holy? And how they ought to turn from their wicked ways. And Sodom, just like the world at the time of Noah, was a very wicked city. Very perverse and rebellious. How many times did they hear old Lot saying, You guys are better. Get wise and get right with my God. And then, all of a sudden, when those two angels escorted Lot and his wife and his two daughters out of the city, the people saw him going out. So there goes that crazy preacher and his family. And those two strange characters. And then suddenly, I don't know what kind of noise that fire and brimstone makes when it starts pouring down like a volcano exploding on top of a city. But they didn't have much time. I wonder how many of them thought, wait a minute, this is what Lot wronged us about. Poof! Too late. That's how suddenly Christ will return. That's how suddenly he will come bring judgment, but to receive his people also. Look at verse 30. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. I remember one preschooler kid, teacher asked him you know, about Lot's wife, and they, one little boy said, yeah, she was a, a pillar of fire uh, by night and a uh, pillar of fire, clouds by day. Oh, she was a pillar of salt. But anyway, he, he, you know, he gave it a shot. What happened to Lot's wife? She was torn. She heard her husband warn. She heard the angels warn. Get out of town. Don't look back. Looking back says, I still wish. I still miss. I'm going to miss. Don't. The angel said, whatever you do, don't look back because it demonstrates torn allegiance. And you're no good to God. She turned back and she turned into a pillar of salt. How do we know that? I mean, Lot didn't look back. His daughters didn't look back. Have you wondered that? How, how do we find that out? I'm going to let the other elders research that and come on back to us. And I, It's just one of those things that just kind of struck me. But look what he says in verse 33. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Like Lot's wife, she was trying to play both ends of the deal and ended up losing. And that's the way it will be for the people who are left at that time. In verse 34, I tell you: In that night, there will be two men in one bed; the one will be taken, and the other will be left. The two two women will be grinding together. And in, in tr- other translations say at the at the meal. The one will be taken the other left two men will be in the field the one will be taken and the other left you see when jesus comes again this will usher in not only the return of the king of kings but it will usher in the harvest of the souls you may recall that i we walked through uh, another time talking about the, the well no we didn't cover it in, in luke we, we looked at it in matthew's gospel you find the parable of the tares where the man sowed his his wheat, and some evil person came behind him and sowed seeds. We think tares. They looked like wheat, but they're not, and they grew up in the midst of the ta- of the wheat. And the servant said, "Master, do you want us to go and pluck all those tares out?" He said, "No, no. You'll you'll disturb the wheat. Just wait. Wait till the day of the harvest, and and we'll separate the tares from the wheat." jesus was using that parable and he taught his the people then his teaching his disciples he says when he comes again that is the day of the lord that is the awful day of judgment you talk about division in the world ladies and gentlemen nations will be divided communities will be divided families will be divided Marriages will be divided. Friendships will be divided. Because just as Jesus described those angels coming on that day, when He is coming, those angels have a task. They will reach down and strike every person who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And their souls will be snatched from their bodies And they'll be in Hades, which is just a temporary place of fiery judgment waiting for the great white throne of of, of judgment, at which point they'll be cast into hell for eternity. But on that day, there will be a separation. Because Christ will be receiving every believer that has made it through the tribulation and been faithful. But for the rest. Judgment. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, it could be two men, brothers living in the same house, one's gone, two women working at the mill or whatever, workplace, working. At, and all of a sudden, one snatched away or just dies instantly. There's a great division. And they answered him and said, where, Lord? Because the Jews had already asked the when question. When's the end coming? When's the Messiah coming? When's the kingdom going to be established? His disciples just kind of saying, you're where? Because wherever you're coming, that's where I want to be. I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss. Where's all this going to transpire? And, And it's so interesting, the response of Christ given in that last verse. When he talked about where, because the Lord says, "Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together." Some translations speak of other birds of carry carrion birds that prey on dead bodies, dead things, as eagles, some vultures, crows. I mean, what other birds you think of eat dead things? I know this is really making you get hungry for Bojangles, isn't it? Uh, Jesus said, listen, if, 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 if you were to happen to be looking around at that time, you don't have to wonder. I, I drove up to my dad's Friday, see him, spent the night, but on my way driving, I mean, it's country y'all up there, rural. And, uh, so I'm driving the country road, winding through the woods, and, and all of a sudden, I thought it was maybe an F-16 strafing me. Down across my windshield, the hood, biggest buzzard i would ever seen in my life. That thing's wings were wider than my windshield. And I said, whoop, State Farm won't cover this. So kept it in the road. And he just swooped up, grace, if there's anything graceful about a buzzard. And then I looked up just over the top of the windshield. Biggest convoy of buzzards I've ever seen. Circling. Circling. What do you think they're circling for? You know, you think they're looking for a nesting place? Another dead tree to hang out on? Another church steeple to sit on? No, they're looking for something dead. And, and Jesus says, using that as an illustration. Listen, if you happen to be here, and mind you, the, the battle of Armageddon, the greatest land battle ever fought outside of Jerusalem. And there will be blood flowing, the, the the scriptures tell us, that will come up to the bridles of the horses. And He says, you won't have to look for them. You won't have to look. You won't have to wonder. You just watch for the largest concentration carrying birds you've ever seen in your life because they're going to have a feast. When the Son of Man comes, it's going to be a horrible, horrible day for those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Do you all realize that day could be almost as imminent as seven years from now? The question that we ask ourselves, and I'll close, is in response to Jesus' warning given to us in Matthew 24. It was in our responsive reading, Matthew 24, verse 44. And this this speaks to my heart. I, I, I see it, and I always think about it. Jesus said, "Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him." So how do I live my life as a Christian? Do I look for people out there that claim to have inside information and and follow them because somehow they'll... Do I look at the date-sitters who tell me say oh no no this is going to be this date in you know 2025. They don't know and you don't know when the end of time will come and the King of Kings will come back to the earth Jesus simply says therefore you also be ready live your life every day as if this could be the day that the trumpet would sound and that mighty voice shout from heaven live this day as if you're poised Going into a period of tribulation if you don't know Christ. Better get ready. I take you back to the lyrics of that song. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. We better get ready. So I ask you, are you ready? Do you know that you know that you know? that you have fully, truly accepted Jesus Christ, the Son of God, by faith as your Savior and as your Lord. Does your life and your priorities reveal to others around you that Jesus is the King of kings of your life and you are living for him? If not, let me urge you to consider accepting him today. Confess and repent of your sins. Profess your faith in him and commit to live your life for him and be forever ready. My heart breaks to think of the millions and billions of people who aren't ready and won't be ready when Jesus comes again. He's coming again. Let's pray. Well, we thank you for the power of your word I imagine, Lord, as you were preaching to those disciples and teaching those disciples, they were hanging on every word, though they probably didn't understand so much of it. But they could tell in your voice the seriousness of the content. Yes, indeed, the kingdom of God was coming in their midst as people like themselves had accepted Christ as their Savior, just as the kingdom is coming today. Every time one of us has the opportunity to share Jesus with a lost family member or friend or neighbor or co-worker, Lord, the kingdom of God is coming into that life. May we see the kingdom of God growing exponentially in anticipation, Lord, that one day you will come back to this earth. And Lord, we just want to have that assurance of knowing that we're going to be with you as you redeem your people, as you restore your people, as you bless your people. And, Lord, as we are folded into the eternal kingdom of God, Lord, help us to have a burden on our hearts for those who continue to reject you. And, Lord, we realize that you have to do the saving, so we pray that you speak to their hearts, open their hearts to the truth of your word. And we thank you, Lord. Oh, we love you. Thank you so much for the gift of salvation and the blessed hope of heaven. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.